Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. This is number three in our Core Beliefs and Values series, You Are a New Creation. And this is a big one. Because I'm telling you, if you can make this turn, if you can turn the corner of this reality and this truth in your thinking and in your heart about the work of Christ in you, it makes a huge difference. And, it's, it, and it deals with some issues that certain theological systems within Christianity have a really hard time with. And so there are words that create confusion in this topic. I'm moving around. I I forgot we're trying to keep it tight. I can walk again. (laughs) Hallelujah. So I might move. How's this? Are we good here? All right, good there. Anyway, what was I saying? (laughs) No, I'm going to talk. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture and go over some issues. But here's the deal. If you have a particular way of thinking about this topic, no amount of scripture is going to change your mind. It's a revelation that you have to look at and realize, okay, I see what Christ did for me in a deeper way now. I'm willing to look at my identity from a spiritual perspective, in other words, who I am in Christ, rather than from a carnal perspective, analyzing my behavior. Because when you have this conversation about being a new creation, and the kind of being that you are in your nature actually changing, the, the one side of this conversation always goes toward, well, what about sin? And it's like, well, you think sinlessness equates to righteousness. So that is the fundamental issue we need to deal with. Righteousness has nothing to do with sinfulness or sinlessness. Righteousness in regard to what it means eternally, is you are in right standing with God. And the question always comes up, well, should we, does that mean you can sin? And Paul dealt with that from the very beginning. Well, what should we, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid, sin kills, it destroys. I'm just saying that right off the bat. Paul dealt with it immediately. They dealt with it in the early church, and for the last 2,000 years, When people try to preach the gospel, the carnal-focused or legalistic-minded always wants to deal with behavior. Of course behavior matters. Of course there should be fruit. Of course you should abstain and turn from sin. Amen? You don't like it anyway. That's why you feel so bad and guilty. You keep doing that stuff. It's killing you. Stop it. Am I clear? Sin, bad. Sin, never good. All right, now let's deal with spiritual identity. The phrase that gets thrown around a lot that creates confusion is sin nature versus righteous nature. And that's really not even the proper context. When you start talking about the work of Christ within you and the kind of being that you are, see, because if you want to go ahead and put this up here, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about us actually being the righteousness of God. And so people come in with their terminology and say, yeah, well, that's that's true positionally. See, Abraham, when God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac, 
And Abraham trusted God and was willing to follow through in his actions with the behavior that God was asking him of, God said, okay, now you're in right standing with me because you have trusted me. Now, Abraham did not have the Spirit of God within him. The sacrifice of Christ had not yet been executed, where internally you could become a different kind of being. So Abraham was credited righteousness. He's like, all right, you're in right standing positionally with me because you've trusted me, so I'm going to grant this to you so that I can make covenant with you. But it's different for us. We actually change and become new creatures. We actually, this actually happens. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this is talking about now, not talking about in the future. People always want to de- dissect purification and sanctification as if you get purified, but your sanctification is progressive, and that's dependent on your works. Now, you are to work out your salvation, but that's the, that's the journey of a believer is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But as far as the kind of being that you are, you're as righteous as you'll ever be. And this is a big, big staple. Because what we're doing here is we're talking about our core beliefs and our core values. And we're, we're painting the picture of this is what it looks like to actually be a Christian. This is what happens to you when you say yes to Jesus. You actually become a different kind of being. Amen. Why? Because God changes you inside with Christ. Well, I don't feel different. Well, you're not led, you don't live by your feelings. Learn how to connect with your heart, hear the voice of God, and be led by who you are in your spirit so that your feelings will testify to the truth. I've got a lot of scripture here, so, you know, really this should be about a four or five part series, but I'm clicking through some just, just the banner beliefs to really drill down, you know, to, to get this 10 part series shaped up. So let's just look at a couple of things. The promise of the coming new covenant wasn't just a new set of laws. It wasn't just that the Messiah was going to offer salvation apart from the law. As amazing as that is, part of the promise of the new covenant was you're going to be changed. See, the reason God under this new covenant will not hold your sin against you anymore is because he's going to change you from a sinful natured being to a righteous-natured being in right standing with God. That's the reason sin doesn't stick to you from God's eyes. He sees it. Some people will say, God doesn't even see your sin. Well, yeah, he does. He's not pleased with it. He's not happy with it. It probably grieves him, breaks his heart. However, he's not holding it against you. And if you think, well, that means I can sin and get away with it, then repent from your carnal thinking and switch into spiritual thinking. Because why would you want to sin when you know that God's not holding your sin against you? If you think, if you hear, God's not holding my sin against me, and you think, no, I can get away with it, there's a problem. Amen? Amen. Part of the promise of the new covenant you see in Ezekiel 36, 26. I think I'm already out of order on you, Janine, back there. So Ezekiel 26, 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, God doesn't just give you a new nature and a new heart so that you can just go on and do what you want to do. He actually reprograms you and recreates you inwardly so that he can lead you inwardly. Because before the only leading that you had was external written in stone, and you had to try your best to keep those. And he knew that you couldn't keep them, so he built this sacrificial blood system to temporarily atone for your failures. But now he says, all right, this is completely different now. Completely different in this new covenant. Inside the root of what you are, it would be like going to a particular kind of tree and going inside that tree and changing its DNA inwardly so that it starts producing different kind of fruit. Imagine if you went over to an apple tree and you did some kind of work inside of it and inwardly you changed it to an orange tree. Eventually that thing would start producing oranges. That's what's happened. You've changed inside. He took out what you were and he put in himself. Now you're not God. You're not going to become a God. We're not Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. But you've been made one with him, and he's given you his life. Now, you've heard me preach this stuff, but, I, I mean, I'm telling you, it's the way to realize and give proper credit to the finished work of Christ, and it's the way for you to deal with those areas that you keep slipping up because there's hope. You know, it, it's, it's, it's like backwards, because sometimes this message gets accused for giving people a license to sin. But I say if you're telling people that they've got to sin nature, you're giving them the license to sin. If you're telling people, well, you've got two natures. You've got God living within you, but you've still got your black dog nature, because that's kind of a teaching, your black dog and your white dog. Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to win. Now, I understand that philosophically, but as far as the kind of being that you are, that old man is dead. Amen. Amen? Amen? If you're telling people, you don't have a choice. You just have the root of sin still in you because it's in your flesh, and you're still in your flesh, and I'm going to deal with that here in a minute. You're telling people you're, you have an excuse for your sin. Do you, are you following me? Because yes. I get sick of hearing people say, well, you're saying it's okay to sin, or you're giving people a license to sin. Are you kidding me? You are. Because you're telling them they're sinful. I get a little passionate about it. <laughs> Jeremiah 31, flip over there. Just giving the context of the promise of the new covenant is not just a new set of laws. It's not just Christ being your Messiah and you can be saved through him. It is also you become a different kind of being. The promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33. This... This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. Now, in context, you look at Galatians 3, and you realize here when he's talking about the people of Israel, that's the descendants of Abraham. And then he says, you are a child of Abraham if you have faith in Christ. So he's not talking about the nation of Israel as the people group. He's talking about those who have exercised faith in Christ. Do you see that? Yes? Yes. Uh, yes. I know I'm throwing a lot at you at, at one point, at one time. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. Say, that's me. Amen. Declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds before it was written in stone. Your mind was contrary 
to God's law. The way your natural mind thinking was in opposition to God's law. Now he changes inwardly where you naturally agree with God's law. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And when you, when you really search out this word heart, it's talking about the root of what kind of being you are in your inner man. So I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Praise God. This is where you live now. The word remember means to rehearse or to chew on or to meditate on even. God's not sitting there thinking about tripping up, worrying about your sin. You know what I mean? He's not holding it against you. Your sin was held against you before Christ. Now it's not. Does that make you want to run out and sin? Because my counseling office is right back there. We'll work on that. (laughs) Verse 35. This is what the Lord says. He appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea, and he's just basically giving his credentials. He's like, I'm the guy. I have the authority to say this. So let's look at just a couple more in Romans. I mean, there's just so... When you really start to study... The idea of nature change, you see it everywhere. But I just want to give you a couple more, and then I'll just kind of speak about it. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Justifies the ungodly. See, we read that term, and because we're not Jews under the old covenant, We don't understand how blasphemous that would have been to them. This is a huge statement for Paul to declare God justifies the ungodly. Their entire life was built around the system that they lived within and managed for hundreds of years. Their entire life was defined by the way they had lived. It was who they were. And now this guy comes along and says, you used to be justified this way, and it was only for these people who properly kept all of the decrees and laws in the right way, only they could be justified. Now God justifies the ungodly. See that Gentile over there? You see that half-breed Samaritan over there? You see that leper? You see that sick person? You see that drug addict in the corner? You see that drunk over there running his mouth? God justifies that one. As soon as that guy opens his mouth and says yes to Jesus... Does that mean he should stay in that state? No. But why do you start thinking about sin when we start thinking about this incredible work that just happened inside of this person? What's wrong with you? Religion wants to rob people from their new creation identity. You you okay? (laughs) Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, say, I've been justified. Now, some people will say, yep, you've been justified or purified, but now you need to engage in sanctification. And and that, ultimately, when they flesh that out, it's by effort. Just to cut a long story short. And sanctification is the work of God growing within you. 
not you making yourself more pure. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, in your mind, you have to change the way that you think. In other words, repent. Don't continue to engage in that sin. But the way that I'm going to experience this sanctification that will grow within me is to get out of the way and let God build within me what His Spirit is seeking to build within me. Not the other way around. Are you following me? Romans 8.15 You did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, for you did receive a spirit of adoption. Say, I have received a spirit. I have received God's spirit. You know what? Let me just tell you, whether you pray in tongues or not, you have received the spirit. If you've said yes to Jesus, you do. Now, it's your choice of whether or not you're going to let that spirit influence your mouth and use that gift or not. But I've just seen too many people, you know, feel like they're a less than Christian if they don't pray in tongues as if they're missing something. Well, I think you are missing using the strength of that gift, but you're not missing any aspect of God. And the Spirit Himself does testify with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what's happening when Adam is singing a song like that. And inwardly, you just feel good. You're just like, yes, my God loves me. That's what's happening. That inner spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you belong to God. You're His child. And if you're sin conscious, you will begin to feel guilty. If that Spirit of God starts speaking to you and saying, yes, you are my child. I have cleansed you. I have made you pure. I have placed my Spirit within you. You have a seat at my table. You will rule and reign with me. You have inherited everything that Jesus has inherited in his life. You are a king and priest on this planet to go and represent me. And you start hearing things like that, and you start thinking about your sin, of course you're going to feel guilty. And that's why you got to renew your mind. So that you don't think along those terms because you're going to do what you think. You just do. So think in agreement, in agreement with what he's done in you. It sounds really simple, right? Except for tomorrow morning when it's time to think differently and you start just thinking the same old way. When you pray, otherwise known as worry. <laughs> You are rehearsing a potential future. Life is potentials. You can make a choice, start moving in a direction, life can change. You've done it, you've seen it. You wonder why it's not happening more for you. It's because you just keep thinking the same way. You're going to end up in the same place every time. And I'm not talking about law of attraction type stuff. And you just sit on your couch, eat potato chips, and think about something really hard, and it's going to create it. You know, I'm, no, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. That's good to sit and meditate and think of a better potential future for yourself, but if you, there's no action and it's got to be rooted in truth, it's not going to really change much for you. Let's keep going. Let's get down to Colossians 2, verse 9. And this is really kind of the big one that I want to address because this one is, uses the language that, that helps you really understand the work that has happened within you. Now, you guys know this intellectually. But it is the strength of actually meditating on this and believing this, praying from this position, looking at other people from this position, 
looking at the future from this position, in other words, who you are in Christ and what has happened to you, is the strength of how you overcome whatever that thing is that's killing you right now. Whether it be an actual behavior or just a repetitive death mental cycle that you carry. You, you know what I'm saying? This is the secret of resetting who I am so that as I am renewing my mind according to this truth, if you get to where you actually believe this and this becomes your reality, it will be the breeding ground for this transformation that you're desperately starving for. Are you with me? All right, here we go. Colossians 2, starting in verse 9. Sets the context for who he is, then it tells you who you are in him. It's like it gives Jesus, and we talked about this a little bit last week, it gives Jesus credentials to validate who you are. Are you with me? I'll use the same illustration. I think Ryan's serving in kids' church, but I'll use the same one. Ryan is a pilot. Let's say you decide you want to be a pilot, and you go up to Delta, you, you, know, you put your suit on, you put your wings on. Outwardly, you look like it, just like you're ready to jump up there and fly that plane, and you show up, and you say, I'm here to fly the plane. They're like, well, do you work here? Are you a pilot? Can you fly? No, but I'm friends with Ryan. He can fly. He's my credentials, so let me fly. Oh, okay, here you go. Take, take the cockpit. Now, that's kind of crude, but that's how it is with Christ. Christ validates us, not validates you to continue to sin, not validates you in your brokenness, but validates who you are before the Father. He has presented you holy and unblameable before God in his love for you because he's done a deep work within you. All right, so that's what's happening here. He gives the credentials of Christ to validate who you are in him. Ready? Colossians 2.9, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now remember, these aren't just doctrines to know. These are truths to reshift who you are so that your life will change as you believe this stuff because you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. I feel like I just kind of have to re keep reiterating that so we remember. I'm renewing my mind. This will produce transformation. It's not just information that I'm learning. I'm learning and something magically is going to happen and I'm not going to struggle with that sin anymore. But this is the stuff that you feed on inwardly to tell yourself who you are. You know, those affirmations that you're standing there and you're looking in the mirror. If you want to change, you got to change the way that you think. The stuff that you use to change the way that you think is found right here. In him, all the fullness of deity, or in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in him, you have been made complete. Say, I'm complete. I'm complete. One more time. I am complete. I am complete. Now, where do, where do your thoughts go? One more time. I am complete. Now, what do you start thinking about? Do you start thinking about what you did last night? Does a crown of a particular theological system rest upon your head and you start qualifying what that means? Well, yes, positionally, but I've got... You know, where do you go with it? I am complete in Christ one more time. I am complete in Christ. Now, what are you thinking 
Are you used to being aware? Yeah, hallelujah. That should be. Amen. You, your heart will tell you what you believe when you say a statement like that. And he's the head over all rule and authority. It's, it's like, he's, it's like he, he keeps validating who you are by acknowledging who he is. And in him, now this is so technical, but it's, it's easy to understand if you're willing to just see it from a little bit of a different perspective. And it's not unorthodox. It is what it says but you have to not think carnally about it or physically about it, okay? And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision without hands. You all know what circumcision is. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This says in the New King James, by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, in other translations, there's so many different translations, and half of them say put off, and half of them say remove. Well, we know that God has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, right? Jesus became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. You go into the original language in the Greek, and you look at how this word is translated, it's removed. One more time. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith. Now, raised up doesn't mean you were resurrected. It means you were raised up to the same position of authority in him. Do you have trouble with a statement like that? Well... You're a joint heir with Christ. Amen. It's basically, that's just saying the same thing. You're raised with him. It's the same thing as I'm a joint heir with him. Do you see that? I'm seated in him. I'm seated in Christ in heavenly places. It's a position of authority, not an event of a resurrection at the end of your life or at the resurrection. So... It's so technical because what he's saying is this work that happened within you without hands, he removed this sin, flesh, body. Or when you look at the... I'm, gosh, I'm getting ahead of myself and it's technical. I'm going to deal with the word sarks, but let me read through this and we'll go back and dig in a little bit deeper. You with me? Do you enjoy getting technical sometimes? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in teaching mode more than I'm in preaching mode, so you've got to use your brain for just a minute here. But I know you got one, and you're good at thinking, so let's just, make, let's just search it through here. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. See, flesh is the word sarks. Sometimes it means body. Sometimes it means nature. If you go look up the word sarks, S-A-R-X in the Greek, there's four different predominant definitions. And then you look in a deeper lexicon and it will tell you which translation applies to which scripture. This is talking about nature. I'll read you the definition of sarks in a minute. You are looking at me like I've got tape between my eyes and a pocket protector. 
Like, but I want, I mean, it's important to understand this, okay? You with me? All right. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. There's just so much meat on this bone here. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public show of them openly, having triumphed over them in it. All right. So what he's showing here is that something has happened inside of you because he's dealing with this word flesh. Now, the word flesh is the Greek word sarks. And some folks will say that it's always applying to skin. And, and it's a Gnostic mentality to say that everything that's physical is evil and you won't really fully be uh, free from the carnality of this world until you're dead and there's no more physicality left to you. You've ever kind of heard that kind of way of thinking? It's like your body just naturally craves sin. You're just naturally evil. Your body just wants, if your body took over, you would just crave depravity and you'd be gross. Well, it does if that's what you want in your heart. But however, your body will crave righteousness if you allow righteousness to empower you inwardly. In other words, your body, this skin, is like a bystander waiting for instructions. Amen. And your mind and your heart will give it instructions. Your flesh right now is not inherently from a depraved perspective, craving to stand up and do just disgusting acts. Is it? Nope. If it is, I've got a counseling office right over there. We'll go afterward. I'll meet you. But you know what I'm saying? It's only when, the, when, you're, when your mindset starts moving in that direction of that desire that you want that you're, you physically start craving that stuff. Am I telling you the truth? Yes. Why? It's because your mind determines where your body's going to go. That's why he tells us later on. See, this is where there's so much I could get into. He says, don't yield your members to sin. Yield them to righteousness. He's talking about your body, your skin, your flesh, your, your actual body. Yield it to the righteousness. Your, your body can crave righteousness as much as it craves sin. My body craves Loaded baked potato pizza from Partners Pizza. You ever had that pizza? What do you, what do you, what do you like? Snickers bars? What's your favorite guilty pleasure? What do you like? Almond Joy. Whatever it is. What if your body only craved like broccoli and carrots? I mean, does it crave pizza because it just wants to be unhealthy? Or is it just in your mind you get to thinking about, man, that pizza tastes good. I'm going to go get me some pizza. (laughs) Are you following me? It's where you go in your mind. Your body will crave where you go in your mind. If you shift in your mind, know what? You know what? We're going to be healthy. You, you change your, you might cleanse, you might do all the stuff to break all those physical things going on in your body that do 
crave things. It's like substance abuse. You got to break that addiction first. You got to get that flesh in line so that it's not got a natural dependency on that stuff. But when it's all set back to equal, it's craving, it's going to crave whatever you want it to crave. Your body only craves sin when you want it because you've been thinking about it, not because it is inherently evil intending towards sin. Look at these definitions here. This is the word sarx. This is the word flesh. Remember Colossians 2, the body of flesh. In other words, your flesh has been cut out of you, and it was buried with him in baptism. It's not in there somewhere waiting for you to feed it. You know, as, as far as the kind of being that you are, it's been cut away from you. Now, some people think that you're saying, well, are you saying that we don't have the potential to sin? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that sin doesn't define the kind of being that you are, but if you want it, you're going to still choose it. But don't choose it because it brings death and destruction in your life. It won't separate you from God. God's not holding your sin against you. But a believer will produce the fruit of moving away from sin. This is the debate. See, this is where the questions come in of, are you looking at it from the spiritual side of the deep work of Christ that's happened within you? Or are you looking at it from the outside looking in saying, well, I'm not so sure you're a Christian because you're still doing that. If you really were a Christian, you wouldn't want that anymore. So maybe you're not a Christian. Or you're incomplete as a Christian because you still want that and maybe you'll get there one day and you just got to deal with, you just got to struggle. You see what I'm saying? Which side of the eye, which, which perspective? Are you standing in heaven looking at the kind of being that you are? Because that's where you are seated in heavenly places in Christ? Are you standing outside looking at the behavior saying, I think you should have this kind of fruit. So I'm going to determine what kind of being you are based on what you're doing. Should this root of righteousness within you produce fruit? Absolutely. But if you want to really deal with your behaviors as a believer... First, recognize what's happened within you because that's the strength that you need to overcome. All right, so these are the four definitions of sarks, which is flesh, and it's used so much in the New Testament. It's the soft substance of the living body which covers the bones. Pretty simple, your skin, right? But watch this. Flesh, this is another definition. I'm just going to read you two. Flesh denotes mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence, and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. Now, that's not talking about the fleshly soft matter that covers your bones. That's talking about the kind of being that you are. The kind of being that you were that was in opposition to God that tended toward craving sin, was cut off from you, cut out of you, and buried in Jesus. If you still commit acts of sin as a believer, it's because you want to. You like it. Not because you've got this body that says, I can't help it. I'm just going to sin. It's just what I am. It's real quiet in here now. You know this. 
You know it. And I'm telling you, when you really truly understand the gospel from a finished work perspective, it creates more responsibility than any other system of trying to follow God, of, of any other system of belief, because it takes away all your excuses. To tell somebody that they still have a sin nature, it's unbiblical. It's a slap in the face of the work that Christ has done within that person. It's carnal because it looks at fruit to determine what kind of being you are rather than whether or not you have faith in Christ. And religion is killing people. Man-made, performance-centered religion is robbing people of their potential to experience transformation because it keeps you conscious of your sin and focused on your failure. Are you with me? So just get this picture, right? When you stand there in front of God and you recognize who Christ is and you make this determination to believe that what Jesus did was for you, it's like, I mean, I just had surgery, right? They wheeled me into the room and, you know, you're nervous. You're laying there. They're like, can you slide over to the table? I'm like, I, yeah, I think, I, I think they'd already given me something. I was a little loopy, but I'm aware. I slide over onto the table and they're, they're like, can, you know, lay up here on the table and put your arms up. I said, I, I don't want, can I put my arm down? And the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm looking at Sarah, done. <laughs> it's over. The surgery happened. That's what happens with you. God anesthetizes you. You don't even know what happened. But something, a surgery took place within you. Come on. You say yes to him and it's like, you don't have a part in it at all. You lay there unconscious. He does the work within you, and you wake up, and you're different. Amen. Now, I still thought in my mind this tendon is still ripped. You know, that was the battle to me to get my mind wrapped around this thing that, no, it's not ripped, because it was such a trauma. It was such an emotional experience of reaching down and trying to feel my tendon, and it's gone. I mean, it was like, oh, it, it, writ, it wrote something on my heart. It created an emotional thing in me that was like, this is my new reality, and I adopted it immediately. And then when it was corrected, of course, there was some healing to do, and I reached down and could feel it in my mind. I doubted if I could feel it or not. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel it, but I think it might, I think I tore it. Ask Sarah. It's there, and I'd ask the doc, I'd go to the physical therapist. Is, is it there? Is it, is it, yeah, it's there. What are you talking about? It's the same thing. A work happened within it. You've got to trust God's surgery. Because it's growing and strengthening, and getting stronger, and you have nothing to do with it except getting knocked out and letting him do it and letting it continue to grow and strengthen. And the way that you exercise that new man into confidence is continue to trust what he did. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You can only live within it to the degree that you think in agreement with it. You want to transform? Renew your mind. Amen. And the, the, the root which you feed on 
is that you are a new creature. It is true of you. God performed a surgery in you, and it is seeking to strengthen and grow into every other area of your life. But the root of it eternally is in you and will not ever leave you. Trust that it's growing. He that began a good work will complete it. It's completed in spirit. Just rest in him and let it grow and let it do what it's going to do. And quit beating yourself up when you miss it. Is it okay to miss it? No. Is God happy with you when you miss it? That's not even really the right way to say that. He don't want you missing it, which is what sin really means, to miss it. Trust the surgery that's happened within you because you're different. You're a new creature. You're one of those heaven beings now. You were cut off from God, alienated, a foreigner. Now you're adopted into his family. You're a child of God. And the work that has happened is placed a new root within you. Do you see it? I mean, do you, you know, I don't know how visual you are, but conceptually inside, it's like, yeah, he, this, it, it's a deep work that happened. I'm going to let it grow. And what it's going to do is going to make you look just like Jesus. So quit making Christianity about behavior and performance and whether or not somebody's bearing the right kind of fruit and make it about Jesus in you. Because that is the hope. That is the mystery of everything that was prophesied about the the coming Messiah. And it's further down in Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The more... Christ in you, aware you are, the more you will be yielded to and allow that to strengthen you, or the more sin conscious you are, that will shape you and mold you. But it doesn't change what kind of being you are. You're a new creation. Amen? Amen. Now, if you, got, if you have areas in your life, one of the ways that you can deal with that, that you continue to miss it, you continue to mess up, is to realize, you know what? Christ is in me. Does he struggle with this thing? I'm going to give you something practical. Don't check out on me. Because it's like, I heard some good information. I believe that. Good sermon, dude. But, but you need to change. We got to deal with that part for a minute. You know what I mean? One of the ways to deal with the stuff that performance-centered religion is giving you an excuse for because it tells you that you still have a sin nature. It's to remember who he is in you. So, and it's a meditative exercise. It's prayer. And all it's doing is just, even if you're just going to quote scripture, we've got these cards back there that have identity-based scriptures on them. They're all just taken straight out of the Bible. It's just sit down and just read it. You know, maybe, maybe for a little while, find something that works for you. Read through that thing every day in light of that area that you need to see a change and begin to believe that, you know what, there, a different future is possible. That's what worry is. It, is. it is feeling the emotions of a potential future. Prayer can be the same thing. What does it feel like to have this reality in my life of this deep work that Christ has done within me? Because that can instill a new expectation and hope within you, and you move that direction. 
You're not locked into sin because it still defines the kind of being that you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? I mean, I mean, it's powerful. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to really believe this. Some people theologically will never believe this. That's just the way it is. Can't do much about that. That's not really my problem. But when your heart's open to realizing, oh, man, you know what? I actually do have the responsibility for this thing that Christ has done in me to bear the fruit of it. Then you start better. You better figure out what grace is at that point. Grace is his power to strengthen you as you begin to make decisions. One last thing. Grace looks like this. You're sitting there, and you either have the option to commit this act or feel this way or say this word. If you can start with your tongue, it's huge. How many, you know it. You're sitting there and you're like, you start to say something. You're like, I don't need to say this. And you're like, well, but it's just them and I can say it to them. And it's like, (laughs) you're like, why did I say that? So dumb. This is what grace looks like. You're moving toward that thing. Inwardly, the spirit of God is saying, "Uh uh-uh, you're a child of God. Nope, I've delivered you from that. My strength in you, my spirit in you is stronger than the lure of that thing that you're entertaining over there. In this brief moment, in this moment right now, when you stop and you catch yourself and you think, I don't need to go there, that's the opportunity to step into grace to be empowered from another source than the lure of the world and, and choose grace in that moment. But the moment you create the excuse and say, well, nobody's looking, or I'll get it right next time. Or I'll just go ahead and say it this time and the next, you know, whatever, whatever it is that tips that, I'm telling you, grace is missed in a moment. However, there is more grace available than there is opportunity for sin in every decision that you make. And this is where discipline comes in. This is where moving from just a believer to a disciple comes in because you got to be committed to choosing grace, choosing a power that's different than what you normally live in. And you know what I'm talking about because you're sitting there. Most of us are so checked out that we don't even realize that we had the opportunity to after we've blown it. We look around, there's dead bodies laying around like, oh, did I do that again? (laughs) But the Spirit of God will bring a different level of consciousness to you, awareness within you. And you know, in that moment, you know but you choose against it because you think that it's just who you are or it's familiar to you. But if you realize a deep work has happened in you and you can change, you can experience a different future because you're different in who you are, maybe in that moment there's a little bit of hope. I can, I can make a different decision right now. This, this will either excite you or haunt you in the upcoming days because you're going to be sitting there and you're going to be like... I've got a choice. Oh, you mean I've got a choice? And you're going to choose one way or the other. And you're going to realize what it is that you really want and what it is that you're allowing to take fruit in your life based on your thoughts. But it feels the compulsion. You can't break the... Well, it's like any addiction. You've got to break that physical craving. Abstain from it. 
That doesn't gain you righteousness. That doesn't gain you holiness. That doesn't mean you are sanctifying yourself in your own strength. It means you are allowing grace to continue to bear out that sanctification. You got a choice in every moment. Every moment. Amen? Amen. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just make the decision right now. Just say it. I will choose grace. I will choose to I will choose to be led by God. God, I want to be influenced by you. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have changed us. We are different. We are new creatures. I want my life to reflect you. I want to desire and love righteousness. I want to bear your fruit. I want the world to look at my life and say, man, I didn't know that God could do that in a human's life and desire you. And I am committed to choosing your grace in every moment and not giving in to the lure of the world, whether it be in action or thought. I'm going to make myself impressionable to you, God, by remembering what you've done in me, this surgery that you've done in me. I'm going to trust that it's growing.